We're talking in this particular lesson about fellowship with God. And, and I want to say something about these slides. That, that you're, Some of you are just, you're OCD and you're just dying because of the way that, that's actually the way it sets it up. It's all meant to be kind of convoluted. So don't keep looking and saying, is, is he cross-eyed or something? And he doesn't know that that should be cocked up a little bit this way. No, that, that's the way the projector sets it up. I want to talk with you about fellowship with God in this particular lesson. And I, I want to begin by helping you see where we're going. So there's this um, idea of relationship. And I talked about it in the first lesson, our relationship with each other. But I want, to, I want to explore that idea. If I were to ask you, for example, how's your relationship with your spouse? You might say something like, well, we're married. Or, or even, let's go back, if I were to say, do you know so-and-so? And you said, yes, my best friend, or we're neighbors. That is a statement of relationship. That is a statement of relationship, and it's not wrong. But on the other hand, uh, somebody came to me, James came to me and said, have you seen Mark or talked to him lately? Mark Broyles and I grew up together. We're best friends from childhood. And when he says, how's Mark? I, I wouldn't just say, well, he's my friend. I would say, oh, he's doing great. I'll tell you, I talked to him the other day. There is a sense in which relationship is objective, and there's another sense in which it is subjective. See, one simply states a matter of fact, and the other states a matter of quality. So saying, if somebody says, Do you, didn't you go to school with Paula Robarts? And I'd say, yes, she's my wife. That just is an objective statement. That doesn't say whether Paula and I have a wonderful relationship, a bad relationship, a rocky relationship, a um, defunct relationship. But if I said, oh, are you kidding? She's the greatest woman I've ever known. She's my wife. Now I'm saying something about an experience that I have with her. That's different than the objective that we're talking about here. So the one is quantitative. I'm going somewhere with this. And the other is qualitative. Those are different. So we can't talk about fellowship without first the objective idea, the one there to your left. We can't talk about having fellowship without having an objective relationship. That is, I'm your brother, you're my brother, or you're my sister. Fellowship, or koinonia, is dependent on the fact that we are in the family of God together. And that's, that's a good thing, that's an important thing, that's a vital thing. But what we're really wanting to talk about is the subjective aspect of that. How good is our koinonia? How rich is our koinonia? How vibrant and daily is our koinonia? 
You can't have the experiential without having the objective. If I could put it another way very quickly, you can't have communion without first having union. But I think for a lot of us, and, and you, you might be saying, okay, so what, what is the point? The point is, I think a lot of us are satisfied with the objective. I'm in the family of God, you're in the family of God, you're my brother, you're my sister, and that's it. Without working on the subjective aspect of it. So let's figure out how we can be more attuned to each other and connected to each other. My mother used to have an expression, and I'm not so sure she used it properly, but she would say, hey, why don't you act like brother and sister to me and my sister? And I thought we were, we were fighting. But what my mother was saying was, your brother and sister, act like it. In other words, act like you love each other. Act like you care about each other. And I think we did. But as kids, you don't always show that in the way that you should. In, in the family of God, you're my brother, you're my sister. That's, that's an objective statement. But if we have relationships, if we show we're caring about each other, that's a whole different ball game. And in this idea, here, and here's where all this has been going, and now we get to the real meat of what we're talking about. We can't have relationship with each other that's qualitative if we don't have anything to share. And what we primarily share in the body of Christ is Christ. So my point in this lesson is going to be simply this. Our fellowship with each other is absolutely dependent on how deep our fellowship or koinonia is with God. The deeper the relationship with God, the better the relationship with his brethren. And I'm going to tell you, that's why, that's why a lot of churches have failed in understanding koinonia. Because they think it's just about sharing the casual surface things together. The surface things. And that's not what it's about. Look, it's fine. It's fine if you're a Texas A&M fan and somebody else is a Texas A&M fan. That's fine. You got something in common. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's, if that's the basis on which you are exercising your koinonia with each other, it's really sad. If that's what brings you together in the body of Christ, that's sad. Because it was meant to be more than that. So what I want to help you with in this lesson, I hope, I hope I can help you with in this lesson is how you can develop a deeper koinonia with God. Because if we can develop a deeper fellowship or koinonia with him, it's going to permeate our relationships with each other here. It's going to make it different here. So I'll suggest this to you. 
um, it's union and communion that we're talking about. Union is the physical, I'm a child of God, you're a child of God. Communion is, and because we are, let's share life together. So koinonia as union. We share Christ's life. That's what we share. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9 says this. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Fellowship, that's our word, koinonia. You were called into koinonia with his son. How, how is that? How am I called into partnership participation, fellowship, or sharing with his son. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30, gives me the answer. Because we are members of his body. We are members of his body. Doesn't say we're fans of his body, we're students of his body. It says we are members of his body. We're going to talk a lot more about that idea, a lot more as we move through these lessons. I am not just owned by Jesus, he does own me. He owns me. Um, he was willing to buy my soul, and I was willing to be bought. And I have surrendered my life to him. And what I'm saying isn't any different than what you are saying about your relationship. But it is more than just he owns me. It, I am part of him. So I don't, I don't own this foot. I don't own it. I didn't say to this foot, would you like to hang out with me? It is part of me. Part of me. And, and that has a whole different concept because when I'm in that situation, every aspect of my foot's life is tied to the rest of the body. It's not something my foot doesn't wake up in the morning and say, oh, wow, what a night. I think today I'm just going to stay in and let Ralph go out by himself. The foot doesn't even have to think about that. It's there. It's there. And you may say, well, Ralph, that's kind of a silly analogy. Mm, be careful about that because that's one God used. <laughs> be careful about using silly with God's analogies. He uses that. And I'm going to tell you as we move through this, I think you're going to have aha moments where you go, oh, that's clear. I get that now. I, I understand what you're saying. So we become... 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, partakers of the divine nature. And the word partakers, yeah, it's our word koinonia. We become, and here's an abuse of the word, we become koinoniaers of the divine nature. Fellowshippers, sharers, partakers, 
partners of the divine nature. So what does that mean in practical terms? Well, I'll tell you what I think it means. It means I'm not a Christian primarily because I act like one. And I'm not a Christian primarily because I talk like one. Or because I'm heard by Christ. I am primarily a Christian because I am in Christ. And all those other things follow that. They follow that. See, if, if you cut my foot off and somebody, God forbid, was walking down a sidewalk and saw my foot laying there, nobody would say, I wonder if that belongs to Ralph Walker. But you don't have any trouble looking at my foot here and saying, that foot's part of Ralph Walker because it's connected. And in the same way, I, I am in Christ. I am part of Christ. And because of that, all my nature is affected by my relationship with him. And folks, that imparts power to me to be something I couldn't be if I'm not in Christ. In John chapter 15, Jesus gives this wonderful discourse, one of my favorite passages. I've got a whole series of lessons on this John chapter 15. John 15, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The branches don't say, hey, I think I'm going to become part of the vine of Christ. Let's go lock in with him. They naturally are part of him. They are there and they receive their sustenance from him. And so if, if Jesus in the, in the story and in the symbolism of John 15 is a grapevine, and he is, no branch is going to be producing anything but grapes because they're in him and he's the vine. And in the same way, I bear fruit because I'm in the vine. I will do what Christ wants me to do and I'm enabled to do it because I'm in him. But to do that, we must abide in Christ. And now we're talking about not something that happens naturally, but something that we, because we're humans, now we're move, we've moved from my foot doesn't have a choice because my, my foot is not an independent thinking part of me. But in Christ, we are independent thinking people. So my abiding in him is not a, I don't have to worry about any of it. It happens automatically, but I have to work at that. That's why Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, he says, unless you abide in me, apart from you, from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you're zero. You got nothing. So abiding in Christ is absolutely vital. It is not a passive relationship. It's active, and I have to work at it all the time. I've got to yield to the vine. I've got to draw sustenance from the vine. I've got to remain attached to it. So we sing this song. It's one of the oldest songs I know of, that we sing regularly. And it really speaks truth. I 
need thee every hour. I need thee. Wouldn't our lives be different in focus if we could keep that? I need thee every hour. And it is only in Christ that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Only in him am I capable of doing those things. So when the time that we've got remaining, the 20 minutes we got left, uh, let, let me share with you some ways that this communion with God, there's that union with God. I'm in Christ. I belong to him. I am in his body. I'm a member of his body. And so are you. But there's a, there's a sense in which that needs to be deep experientially. I'm not, I'm not talking about touchy-feely stuff here. I'm talking about some real practical ways that we can not just have union with Christ, but communion with Christ and with God. How can I have a rich relationship with him? Because the union is fed and made good by communion with him. So here are some things I'd suggest to you. First, an all-day koinonia. All day. I'm looking at a couple of passages that I think <clears throat> emphasize that very thing. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 9. This is, a, this is a really powerful passage for me. At night, my soul longs for you. Indeed, Isaiah 26, 9, my spirit within me seeks you diligently. At night, my soul longs for you. What, what do you do at night? When you go to bed, what do you do? I mean, you know, some of us are so exhausted, we, our heads hit the pillow and we're asleep. But others of us, I think we probably lay there for a while. And, and what do we do? Some of us turn on the TV and we just watch reruns of Andy Griffith. Best show ever made on TV. Yeah, that really warranted like a thunderous amen, but that's all right. It's okay. You are not far from the kingdom. Some of us, when we can't sleep at night or don't go right to sleep, we become anxious that we can't sleep and we may do things to help us blank our minds so we can go to sleep. I, I love this statement, at night my soul longs for you. I, I think there's a sense in which we would find deep, deep relationship with our God and with our Christ, if we laid there in bed and just thought about our relationship with him, just laid there and thought about it. I'm going to give you some more things practically that I think would help us with that. <clears throat> but one of my favorite passages in some years ago, Keith Lancaster and some others put this beautiful psalm 
to a tune. It's Psalm 63. One of my favorites. Psalm 63, the first eight verses. I want you, as I read this, I want you to listen to the passion with which the writer wants to connect with God. He's not talking about an objective relationship with God. He is talking about a subjective one. He is not talking about a fact. He's talking about an experience. Listen to these words. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I've seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness, listen to what he says, your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. I'll bless you as long as I live. I'll lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed. Hear that? There's that pattern again, that idea. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you've been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. The writer of that psalm has captured this sense of utter devotion to being in the presence and to keep Christ in his thought. To keep God foremost in his heart. And I, I realize this. You may say, you know, Ralph, do you really do that? I mean, like every minute of every day, is that where you are that you can't think of anything without seeing Christ or seeing God? And I'll confess to you, no, that's not the case. And I don't think any of us could exist that way. There are times when we need to concentrate on other things. But let me give you what I think is a parallel. If any of you have ever been on a diet, you know that periodically you can be doing other things and all of a sudden it's like the demon of diets comes into your life. And, and you see a billboard and that billboard has been there for years, but you drive past that billboard, it's an advertisement for a hamburger joint you like, but now you're on a diet and you could eat the board. <laughs> I mean, you could pull the car over, climb up that ladder and eat the board. Or you even see, you see clothing on a coworker, and you go, man, that looks like a Twinkie. <laughs> I mean, that's the color of it. Boy, I could use a Twinkie right now. You know how that goes when you're thinking about that? Or if, if I, have, I have three daughters. <clears throat> you're going to weep when I tell you this. When I tell you this. I have three daughters. I had three weddings in four years. I know. I know. I don't know which was more broke, my wallet or my heart, but both of them were pretty busted. Pretty busted. And I had to go through this three times. As my girls got closer to the wedding, everything came back to the wedding. Everything. 
we'd be at a restaurant and we'd be eating dessert and one of the girls would say, oh, you know what? That would be wonderful to have at the reception, that dessert. Or they would see a color and they go, oh, 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 I love that color. Wouldn't that be good if we put that on bows on the ends of all the pews? Or flowers or music. Oh, I love that song. We need to have that song in the wedding repertoire. Over and over and over and over and over. It kept coming back to the wedding, the wedding, the wedding. I think that's where we need to be with God. Not that we think about him every day, all day, nothing but him. But I love this statement that Dallas Willard made one time. He said this, I'm going to quote it. Does our mind spontaneously return to God when not intensely occupied? Did you hear that? Does our mind spontaneously return to God when not intensely occupied as the needle of a compass turns to the north when it's removed from nearer magnetic sources. You know, you can take a compass and you can take a magnet and you can move the needle of a compass around here to southwest or to the east. And as long as you hold the magnet there, the needle will stay there. But if you remove that magnet, what does the needle automatically do? Goes right back north, right back north. I think that's how we have to be with God. This all-day koinonia doesn't mean all day long, all I think about is God, the only songs I sing are spiritual songs, the only thing I quote are passages, but that when I'm not intensely occupied in other things, my work, relationship, driving, when I'm not intensely occupied by other things, my mind goes back to God. That's why I think at night on the bed, twice it's mentioned, my mind thinks about you there. Why? Because I'm not doing anything else at night. And folks, we are taking away something really important if we keep occupying ourselves with our phones and our TVs and our music. I'm, I'm telling you, we are distracting ourselves from the deeper things we could be doing with God and for God in those quiet times. I think some of us are afraid of solitude and quiet. And yet those are the times when God can be honored in great and deep ways. So, let me suggest morning koinonia. Psalm 5, Psalm 5 and verse 3. In the morning, O Lord... You will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. I think that is a fascinating passage. And, and here's why that's a fascinating passage to me. I'm going to pray in the morning and I will order my prayer. That is, he doesn't mean he's going to place his order in the prayer. It means I'm going to set my prayer up and then through the day I'm going to watch for the fulfillment of it. Do you think that sometimes we miss opportunities to tell people about Jesus Christ 
because we didn't see that as an opportunity at the time. And I, I think all of us would say, yeah, I know that happens. But what if in the morning, what if we started out saying, Lord, I'm begging you, send somebody to me today that needs to hear about Jesus. Put them in my life. This, this day, Lord, this day. Do you think sometimes we might even see things we had not seen before? Somebody says next to us in the grocery aisle, I am having a terrible day today. I'll tell you, this world is in bad shape. And you say, oh, no, it's not. There's a Lord Jesus Christ who can make a difference. You're the person I was praying about this morning. I will order my prayer and eagerly watch. I'm going to believe you're going to answer that prayer, and I'm going to look for the answers to that prayer. Sometimes they may come from places we don't expect. I remember getting a card from Paula when we were dating, and the card said this on the cover. It said, you're the answer to my prayers. I felt really good about that and opened it up and said, not what I was praying for, but evidently you're the answer. <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes that's what happens. We don't always see it, but if we're, if we're already thinking, God, I'm ordered to prayer, I'm ready to see the answers to it, that may happen for us. And so we've got this beautiful picture of Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, in the early morning, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. I do wonder how many times the disciples got up, you know, and shook themselves, and they looked over, and there's Jesus' pallet, and there's nobody there. Where is he? Where is he? What is he doing? Has he got insomnia again? No. No, he's using the quiet of the early morning to talk to his God. There are two different practices that I've had that have helped me. That don't, you don't have to do them, but they certainly have helped me. I don't get out of bed until I have done one of two things and sometimes both. Until I've either talked to the Lord or I have in my mind recited a song. A spiritual song. Now, sometimes you know, there, I heard a guy say there are two people, two kinds of people in the world. There's a one that wakes up and says good morning Lord. And there's the other one that says, good Lord, morning. <laughs> and sometimes that's all I may be able to muster. Good Lord, morning. But I need to talk to him. And I need to order my morning so that I am ready to have deeper relationship with my God. And then there is this idea of all through the day. All through the day, I need to be thinking about my relationship with my God. Psalm 25, verse 5. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Find your delight in the Lord. Folks, find your delight in the Lord. Glorify him. 
love him. Psalm 37 and verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. There are, there are ways of doing that. Scripture helps us do that. But songs also help us. Prayers help us. Do not neglect, and I know Tim would say amen to this, do not neglect the power of songs to help us retain deep spiritual truths. That's what songs are for, folks. They're mnemonic devices. They're mnemonic devices to help us remember deep truths. And I know you know that. I mean, when you learned the alphabet in school, your teacher didn't throw an A up on the screen and say, this is an A. It's the first letter in our alphabet. And then it's followed by this other letter. This letter is B. And B is the second letter in our alphabet. A, B. And then there's a third letter, and it's called C. We didn't do that. Our teachers taught us the alphabet in minutes. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. And you learn the books of the Bible that way. You learned your New Testament books that way. I know that. Because I'll call out a passage and I see some of you going, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts and Luke, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians. There it is, Galatians. Yeah. It's a mnemonic device. It helps us remember things. Learn songs. Learn them. Sing them over and over and over again. Because they help you retain deep spiritual truths. It's why God wants us to sing. It's one of the reasons. I think there are other reasons, but that's one of them. It helps us retain deep truths. So our emphasis on doing things for God and for Christ cannot replace our need to just spend time with him. Spend time with your God. Imagine, imagine you came to me and you said, Ralph, you're a, you're a fan of the Beatles? I said, oh, yeah, I love the Beatles. I grew up with the Beatles. That's my music. I said, you know what? Paul McCartney is going to be in Orlando soon. You should go see him. I can get tickets, and we can go see him. And I said, well, you know, I'd love to go. But, you know, I'm writing a biography on Paul McCartney, and I'm really busy in the book. I don't really have time to go see him. You go, well, you, you got your priorities wrong. I think sometimes we do. We spend a lot of time reading and hearing about Christ and about God. And I don't know that we're spending as much time to be in their presence. God and Christ long to be in our presence. How, how was it Jesus put it? My Father and I will come make our abode with you. They want to live with us and in us. And some of our songs and many of the scriptures depict that. So... This is what koinonia is. Koinonia is this. And it's finally sharing with God. I've got two minutes. I want to just simply offer this to you. Koinonia is sharing with him. What, what does God want from me? What does the God who owns the cattle of a thousand hills want from Ralph Walker? I'll tell you what he wants. He wants love through obedience. Jesus said in John chapter 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. He delights in our keeping his commandments. And then I'll tell you what else he loves. And I, no time for us to read these passages. I'm simply going to give them to you. I think God and Christ want us to be transparent and come clean. They want us to talk about where we really are in our lives. 
We're going to talk more about that with each other, our relationship with each other. But for now, let me just simply offer this. Sometimes, brethren, in our prayers, we kind of do these atom bomb prayers and just say, God, uh, forgive us of all of our sins. And, and I think we're missing a very important element in that. There is a sense in which God and Christ insist we come clean about our sins. It's one thing for me to say, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners. It's another thing for me to say, I lied yesterday. I shouldn't have done that. I coveted something that belonged to somebody else, and I shouldn't have done that. There are three great confession prayers in the Bible. Note these, and it's easy. It's Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9, and Daniel 9. If you go back and read those, you will see amazing, open confession of sin. I think many of us would be very uncomfortable about calling on Brother Daniel or Brother Ezra or Brother Nehemiah to come lead us in prayer because they would flay the hide off of us in the presence of God. But I think God wants us to be clean and to come clean. And then finally, he longs for our companionship. He just wants to be with us. He just wants to be with us. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe says, I'd like to be with Ralph. Take time. Take time to be holy so you can be a holy tabernacle for God and Christ to occupy. Time's up. We'll stand adjourned for now.